Okay, we're back on X-Men for this crossover. I love the X-Men. What kind of fun crossover are we covering, sweetheart? Fun X-Men crossover. Uh, well, this one is called... Hmm, Mutant... Ah, uh, hmm. Hey, you two. I figured I got these coordinates right. Are you about to cover a mutant massacre? Well, at least I didn't have to say it. Mutant massacre? My goodness, why can't there just be some nice X-Men crossovers? Kinda comes with the territory, sweetheart. Man, it feels weird for you to call her sweetheart. Not that weird. Well, anyway, I just defeated a cadre of Mark 1000 Neo Mega Sentinels and figured I would drop by to cheer you all up. Mutant Massacre is rough stuff. Wait, you beat Sentinels? How the heck did you do that? It's not as hard as you think. It's less guns and muscle and more tricking them with logical fallacies. They have some pretty advanced AI. What did you do? Oh, I just got them all in a big circular arena and convinced them that to defeat me, they'd have to sit in the corner. No corners in a circle. Boo. They all blew up. Sweet. All in a daze, kiddo. Anyway, let me go whip up some milkshakes in your kitchen and load up my favorite cat videos. This crossover's a doozy. Great. And then after some comfort food, we'll be ready to talk about comics? Yes. I'm Christina Edelman. And I'm Chris Edelman. And this is Chris's On Infinite Earths. The podcast where nothing will ever be the same. Welcome, readers, to our first episode of Mutant Massacre. Yay! (laughs) In this episode, we are going to be covering all of the uncanny X-Men issues, as well as the one New Mutants issue that is part of this crossover. Yes, next episode we'll be covering kind of the more X-Factory side of this, which will be X-Factor Thor and the one issue of Power Pack, which is, Power Pack was kind of both, but we had to split it some way. Yeah, so a lot of issues to dig into with this one, but it also doesn't feel like a ton of issues, if that makes sense. It does. There's a, a lot of words, guys. A lot of words, <laughs> and not always, not all of them necessarily like are... Real, like, external plot movers. (laughs) So before we get any more into plot and get to the summary, we do need to shout out our newest patron. So thank you very much to Adam Reck for uh, supporting us on Patreon. We really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. If you want to be like Adam, you can head on over to patreon.com. Slash slash pod. And uh, and support us as well for lots of cool perks. Yep. And we we appreciate support at any level. Mm-hmm. All right. And without further ado, let's go ahead and get into the summary. Summary? Uncanny X-Men number 210, written by Chris Claremont, penciled by John Romita Jr., inked by Dan Green, colored by Glynis Oliver, lettered by Tom Orzakowski, edited by Anne Nascenti and Terry Cavanaugh. Tommy, a member of the mutant outcast known as the Morlocks, flees from unknown assailants as her boyfriend Richard is brutally murdered by these shadowy figures. Allison Blair, Dazzler, now a member of Lila Cheney's retinue, washes up after a gig only to be accosted by a figure in her mirror known as Malice. She manages to escape unscathed and Malice disappears, only to leave a confused Allison with a brand new choker. Rogue flies through Manhattan looking for Rachel Summers, who had disappeared during the last issue. Rogue instead finds two men in danger, rescuing them from an ill-made scaffold. After realizing how beat up she looks, she stops in Bloomingdale's for new clothes and a makeover. Rogue is found out to be a mutant by an angry man, but said man is challenged by one of the men Rogue saved. She flies away to avoid further trouble, noticing an ad for the new mutant hunting organization, X-Factor. 
Pyotr Rasputin chats with his younger sister, Ilyana. Ilyana is pretty concerned about Kitty Pride, who is upset about Rachel Summers leaving. Nightcrawler is also very injured and missing after their last fight, which is also weighing on Kitty. Meanwhile, Kitty is fixing up Cerebro using her phasing abilities. The Rasputins come to speak with her about her grief, which Kitty brushes aside. However, before they can really dig into feelings... The contact alarm blares. Cerebro has found one of their missing teammates. Magneto travels to the Hellfire Club, where Sebastian Shaw invites him to join the Inner Circle as the White King. Weird for Magneto to consider this, considering how awful the Hellfire Club is, but the club is desperate for the kind of help the X-Man can give. Magneto is noticed, however, by the tracksuit-clad X-Factor on his way in. Ilyana teleports Colossus and Kitty to an abandoned warehouse, where they find Nightcrawler being confronted by a generic human mob. Kitty gives a fiery speech to talk them down, which reminds her of the X-Men's mission, regardless of loss. Kurt is having difficulty teleporting, and the crew leaves. Wolverine and Storm track Rachel to an outdoor theater, where her trail disappears. Tommy is back in the Morlock Tunnels, but it appears she was followed as an energy lance strikes her from behind. The shadowy group has followed her, and their leader executes her with an oddly assembled weapon. Brace yourselves. Uncanny X-Men number 211, written by Chris Claremont, penciled by John Romita Jr. and Brett Blevins, inked by Al Williamson, colored by Glynis Oliver, lettered by Tom Orzakowski, and edited by Anne Nascenti. We are introduced to the Marauders, a group of mutants and mutates who kill other mutants. They are... Scalphunter, who can assemble weapons from machinery. Arclight, who makes shockwaves. Harpoon, who throws energy javelins. Riptide, who has super spinning powers, which often looks quite silly. Scrambler, who can negate mutant powers. And Vertigo, who can make people feel disoriented. They start off this issue by brutally murdering some Morlocks who just looked like they were having a nice game of cards. One Morlock, Cybele, tries to escape to find Callisto but is cut down by Harpoon. Callisto and the other Morlocks join the fray. Back at the Xavier School, the X-Men seem to be having a relatively nice day for once. Only for a dying Morlock to burst forth from the ground begging for help? Psylocke scans his mind prior to his death, which shows the X-Men that they are dealing with mutant killers. The X-Men rally and head to the Morlock alleyways using Ilyana's teleportation. Magneto stays behind... Magneto stays behind as headmaster. Honestly, maybe just this once he could have come. I bet Scalp Hunter is a real chump to Magneto. They find a shocking amount of Morlock casualties, and Riptide and Vertigo quickly attack our flat-footed heroes. Riptide and Vertigo try some combo moves, but Nightcrawler takes out Vertigo handily. Riptide uses his powers to throw blade after blade at Nightcrawler, who has worn out his teleportation. He is ripped up really badly and is taken out of the fight. Ilyana leaves to get help in the form of Moira McTaggart, and the X-Men press on. Colossus and Kitty confront Arclight and Scalphunter, who have just killed Annalee, one of the Elder Morlocks. Arclight knocks Colossus into next week, and Kitty chases after him. The rest of the X-Men lead a group of Morlocks to safety, and they find Colossus and Kitty. The other Marauders, unfortunately, find the group as well, and a tussle breaks out. Colossus and Kitty are both struck with Harpoon's energy lances, with Kitty partway phasing through it. In a rage, Colossus snaps Riptide's neck, and the Marauders flee. Kitty is now trapped in a semi-phased state. Yikes! And the X-Men prepare to take the survivors back to the mansion. Storm tells Wolverine to stay behind, as she needs a Marauder prisoner for information. But only one. New Mutants number 46, written by Chris Claremont, penciled by Jackson Geis, inked by Kyle Baker, colored by Glynis Oliver, lettered by Tom Orzakowski, and edited by Anne Nascenti. This issue is only tangentially related to the mutant massacre, kind of an outskirts issue. Ilyana grabs Moira, who happens to be taking a shower, to treat the Morlocks. Throughout most of the issue, the new mutants are dealing with the horrifying experience that this is. 
The entire issue, Warlock is acting very strangely, and when Jan fears for the safety of her siblings at her apartment, Ilyana teleports her there. Doug Ramsey and Warlock grab the rest of the crew, and they travel via Warlock car form through the Morlock tunnels to get there. Ilyana and Jan are alive and well, but the New Mutants are attacked by Magus, Warlock's murderous father. This rapidly becomes a different story, as you can see. Uncanny X-Men number 212, written by Chris Claremont, penciled by Rick Leonardi, inked by Dan Green, colored by Glennis Oliver, lettered by Tom Orzakowski, and edited by Anne Nesenti. Wolverine stalks the sewers, looking for signs of Morlock survivors, as well as his one marauder prisoner. Psylocke mentally contacts him, and as she is new to the X-Men, Wolverine kind of blows her off. Back at the mansion, things are looking pretty bleak, as there are tons of Morlock casualties, as well as a very injured Nightcrawler, and Kitty Pride, who is slowly fading out of existence since her powers goofed up. Colossus speaks with Storm, vowing violent vengeance, which causes Storm to flee the X-Mansion. She thinks she's failed the team and needs time to think. Psylocke opens her room door to find Colossus, who needs her help to find Storm. However, he collapses on top of her in exhaustion. The team manages to get Colossus off of Psylocke, but he appears gravely injured. Given that he is made of metal, the only way to help him is for Magneto to use his abilities, which he does to great effect, except that now Colossus is paralyzed. Wolverine is attacked from behind by an old foe of his, but a new one to us, Sabretooth. Sabretooth was yet another member of the Marauders who has nearly killed the Morlock healer, and he and Wolverine have a bloody history. They begin to fight to the death. Callisto finds Storm and somewhat violently tries to give her a pep talk. She talks to Storm about accepting the authority that she's been given, and that just because Storm is hurt doesn't give her an excuse to quit. Her X-Men need her. Callisto hands Storm her vest, the symbol of Morlock authority that Storm previously earned. Wolverine buries Sabretooth in an avalanche of rubble, and he and Healer escape. As they near the Westchester Tunnel exit, a huge blast of plasma erupts behind them, sterilizing the tunnel and likely killing anyone still inside. Uncanny X-Men 213, written by Chris Claremont, penciled by Alan Davis, inked by Paul Neary, Colored by Glennis Oliver, lettered by Tom Orzakowski, edited by Anne Nascenti and Terry Cavanaugh. Betsy telepathically gives us some exposition in case we hadn't read the other issues, flitting around her butterfly-like consciousness to check on the X-Men. Callisto, Storm, Wolverine, and Magneto are back at the tunnels in the aftermath of the energy burst. It appears to have been caused by lightning, which makes Callisto think it was Storm somehow regaining her powers. The team is worried about if the new mutants were caught in the blast, and Wolverine can't detect any scent. Betsy flits in telepathically, reminding everyone she could try to find them with Cerebro. However, this is apparently very dangerous, so Storm tells her to just maintain security of the mansion for now. Wolverine, however, definitely wants to go the dangerous route. Typical. Betsy knows the X-Men don't think much of her yet, and while she tries to think of a way to prove herself, she is hit with a massive psychic backlash. Oh no! We get a brief interlude back with Allison Blair, who definitely maybe seems possessed by the entity known as Malice, but decides to get an evil makeover. Rogue, while on patrol, is surprise attacked by a marauding Sabretooth. Psylocke wakes up from her psychic mini-coma only to be attacked by Sabretooth. She hits him with a psychic blast and runs off, with him closely behind. Moira and Nurse Sharon see all of this happening, but have to seal the entrance from the mansion to their makeshift infirmary to keep the patient safe. Convenient. Psylocke flees to the roof, only to barely hold off Sabretooth. She falls through the skylight into Storm's room and defiantly pulls Storm's knife, but things are looking grim. Until Storm and Wolverine arrive. Wolverine and Sabretooth brutally fight on the roof, falling into the pool and then elsewhere on the grounds. Magneto prepares to make chains to capture Sabretooth, but Psylocke stops him. She tells Magneto that Sabretooth has powerful psychic defenses, which are only down when he is distracted. Like, right now. 
Risking Wolverine's life, Psylocke uses her abilities to probe Sabretooth's mind, finally getting the answers they need as the brutal men fight at the edge of a cliff. Sabretooth leaps off, and Wolverine follows, only for him to be grabbed from the water by Rogue, and Sabretooth nowhere to be seen. The X-Men have decided. Betsy has proven herself a valuable X-Man, and she is welcome to the team. Okay, Chris, so what did you think of this crossover, or this leg of the crossover? Well, this is the first ever X-Men crossover. The reason why I wanted to cover it was I figured we would just kind of go back and maybe start to move our way forward, and at least for a little while, and see how that see how that tickled our fancy. But this was the first time they ever decided to do it. So this right. is... I mean, because technically the X-Men were in Secret Wars. Um, they were. I guess but it wasn't the, an X-Men exclusive Right. Crossover. This is the first, like... X-Men wide, line wide crossover. Right. That happened in actual X-Men titles. Yep. And featured every single title at this point was all the X-Men titles were Uncanny, X-Factor, and New Mutants. The very new X-Factor at this point. So there were only three X-Men titles coming out? Wild, right? That sounds, yeah. That's, yeah. that's <laughs> the last time that's happened as far as I, I'm, I'm like 99% certain. So <laughs> the last time there were three X-Men titles was then. Before X-Factor came out, that was the last time there were two. <laughs> oh, wow. Was New Mutants and Uncanny. And then before that was the last time there was one. Let me tell you, I don't feel I, don't, I feel like this is so different than any crossover that we've read before. Because as much as each issue tries to be like, okay, you could jump in on this issue and get right into the story and we'll catch you up. We don't need a summary page. What's a summary page? There's just like exposition built in, but it also doesn't feel like it has an ending. No, as what we know about Chris Claremont, he was on X-Men so much longer than anyone else. And it's Mm -hmm. not even close. I think what, 17 years or something ridiculous. This was literally just kind of another leg in his, his grand scheme. This just feels like a story arc maybe even not a finished story arc that just connects across multiple titles yeah i the the uncanny stuff definitely only feels like a semi ending i think the x factor there well even that's not like an ending there it's more like it has ramifications than it has actual ending material right i mean it has a lot of things in this that don't Get tied up by the end. Like, Kitty Pride is still slowly turning into a ghost and maybe just going to disappear forever. And that happens for a while. I, I'm i fairly certain she is only cured, like, roughly right before Excalibur starts. So, That's... like, she is effectively out of Uncanny X-Men at this point. And they make it seem like such an urgent thing, like, over the course of, like, two issues that it's, oh, any moment now she's just going to be gone and it's we're not going to be able to fix it. Yep. Um, Colossus is, is the, his whole deal is, is fixed rather quickly about being paralyzed. paralyzed. Nightcrawler is still injured for a while though. Mm-hmm. And it's not very clear as to whether or not Storm actually has her powers back by the end of this. We'll find out more about that in the next episode, but, uh, oh, spoiler, so- she does not still have her powers. Oh, okay. Okay, that's interesting because this last episode or issue of Uncanny is the last one that was released. Mm-hmm. So it's weird for that. But the plasma burst thing happens in the second to last issue. Okay. And then they they kind of the, when they're like looking around and going, "What the heck happened?" That's oh the last oh oh. So the plasma burst is explained, which makes it clear that it's not really Storm. It's not that like mm-hmm. Storm in that. All right. All right. One thing that I like that this crossover does is even if you don't read it all, there is little like, like, I, I don't feel as though, I mean, other than the plasma burst, which is less important than I feel like you'd think to this crossover. Right. I was all like, is this, is this from Warlock's dad? Is this like, I just was not sure which conflict, cause I figured it was one of the other titles that the conflict was coming from. And it is. Right. But ultimately, it kind of doesn't matter to Uncanny. No. So you kind of could just read Uncanny if you want to. I don't even... If you're really not a New Mutants fan, I don't know if you're missing Mm -hmm. anything by not reading New Mutants. Yeah. I mean, one of my gripes about 
crossover events in general is that it yanks you out of a story arc that you're already reading in a title and does a thing that you don't necessarily care about. But this does seem like it just kind of blends seamlessly into what's going on in the title because we have stories that are hinted at and picked up like what's going on with Dazzler that is not at all related to the crossover, but is still in these titles. So it's like it, the story didn't have to stop for this crossover to start. Right. And it, this this picks up right after the last story, which was Nimrod, the like future Super Sentinel, came back and fought the X-Men. And some of them were still kind of reeling from the effects of that. Like Rachel, ha- uh, Rachel Summers had run away, not because of Nimrod, but it had happened. And Nightcrawler was injured and missing, and they had to find him early on. Originally, Nimrod was supposed to be the one who killed all the Morlocks, which given like his whole like mutant killing thing kind of makes sense. Right. But they decided they didn't want to do it this way and instead wanted to use the Marauders. I think the Marauders are more terrifying. Old school Nimrod is a little bit different than the Nimrod that you're probably used to, which is the... Although, I don't know how you don't think new Nimrod's terrifying. Readers at the time of this recording, um, the already wildly popular and will probably only become more so House of X and Powers of Ten is coming out, in which case Nimrod is a a pretty... uh, Large yes, part of. yes, but like Nimrod, it's like a, a known entity. The thought of a group of people just totally mercilessly betraying their own kind. Mm-hmm. For the most part, yeah. I, I think that is more scary to me because it's more believable. This is true. The reason why they do it, we, we kind of eventually find out, and I don't think we find out in a crossover, so we should probably talk about it. Mm-hmm. Mr. Sinister, who is the guy who likes to like manipulate genes, and he's literally made an entire, his entire life's mission to make a child from the Summers and Gray bloodline so that the, that child can fight Apocalypse. Which technically has happened at this point. Mm, yes. The child has been created. Yep. And he's, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> by a gray. Yes. Yeah, and that's his whole deal. But for like, he wants to take some mutants off of the table for his like grand schemes to work. So he hires a bunch of people to kill the Morlocks because they are the largest concentration of mutants, if I recall, all in one place. Right. I yes. mean, it did introduce. I think one of the biggest things this did. I mean, there's some stuff we'll discuss in the X Factor issues that are pretty big. Is really introduced Sabretooth as a bad guy into mm. the X-Men universe. This isn't his first appearance ever. He was originally I... an Iron Fist villain. Yeah. But uh, Sabretooth yeah. is kind of a big deal. When are he and Wolverine on the same team together at some point? That's in like a further set of issues, but that but takes like place chronic. Okay, chronologically before this. Yes, that's true. So at this point, I don't think that had been established. There was just some sort of nebulous past between the two of them. Right. They loved doing that with Wolverine. (laughs) They did it all of the time. Wolverine has room for so much past. Yeah, one of the biggest mistakes I think that House of M made, other than, you know, decimating all the mutants, was making Wolverine have a knowable past. It was such a fun, like, thing that you could just bring up in stories. Like, you could be like, I want to make a story where Wolverine has to become a lawyer in the 1920s. And they're like, sure. (laughs) (laughs) So you could just do stuff like that. But now there's like, he has like a very known past. Yeah. But at this point, he was Logan. Yeah. Zero last name. And the, the, he would occasionally just like speak Japanese and they'd be like, how do you know Japanese? And he, or I didn't know you knew Japanese or something. And he'd be like, I, you never asked. <laughs> so this is kind of a fun time for X-Men. Pretty much what you see is what you get. Like all the characters. This was, I think, before the, the continuity became really complicated. How do you feel about the art in these issues? This is a wild one because unlike a lot of these issues, there we get like completely different pencilers. Yeah. Uh, we, we at least get those Glynis Oliver colors that I feel like kind of tie it together. Yes, definitely the colors seem pretty unified throughout. But there's some interesting differences between issues. Like uh, in one issue, Psylocke's telepathy is like in, in vision. It's drawn as her like outline being there next to Wolverine. And then in the next out- uh, issue, it's, it's butterfly. yellow butterfly. Well, uh, I'm going to give that one to, so my favorite pencilers so far in this are Alan Davis, who mm-hmm. did the last issue. 
Alan Davis and Chris Claremont do most of Excalibur, and then eventually Alan Davis writes Excalibur. Uh-huh. Love Alan Davis. He draws the best hair. <laughs> Everybody's got uh-huh. fun, swoopy hair. And that the little butterfly kind of becomes iconic. And that the last panel where Psylocke's in her new costume is also mm-hmm. one that kind of gets referenced a lot. So I got to give it to Alan Davis a lot for that one. I also like, at this point, he's kind of doing house art style, but mm-hmm. I like John Romita Jr. Mm-hmm. And I like him a lot when he kind of does his own style, although that is apparently somewhat of a controversial choice. Um, there's some people who really don't like John Romita Jr. art, but... I really like it. I think it's mm. kind of fun and comic booky. Yeah. It's kind of odd with X Men. We um we've read a little bit of John Romita Jr. in preparation for Phalanx Covenant. There's oh. an issue with Gene and Angel. Oh they yeah, the yeah. Phalanx. But that's kind of more his style. Whereas this point, they're like draw you know draw Marvel stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, I was not a fan of the different pencilers because there's just those different things that take you out of. <laughs> Yeah, I think this is this was better about that than say Battle of the Atom, where I would just be like, yes, practically like falling out yes. of my seat. But I think the unified colorist. Yeah, that that. I feel like a lot of my comic reading career, I really, um, I think I didn't necessarily, I didn't, I didn't not appreciate colors and colorists, mm-hmm. but I feel like I didn't really fully get. The like really amazing stuff they bring to the table. Right. Talking about current stuff, um, House of X and Powers of Ten also have the same colorist. Mm -hmm. And while RB Silva and Pepe Larraz, the artists, have like a fairly similar style, they are, they kind of, I've heard both come from like the quote unquote school of Stuart Eminen style (laughs) art, which, uh, that's a, that's Chris Bait right there. (laughs) I think that the fact that it's the same colorist on both titles lends it a very needed like unity yeah and boy i feel like anytime you can at least do unified colors like why wouldn't you yeah then it, yeah uh, it I, does, I mean it's drawing from the same palette it's like having an outfit that matches yeah effectively mm-hmm. in comic book form yeah i like my comics to match each other <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i i was thrilled about that i think if they wouldn't have done that it would have been very weird. But yeah, I mean, they, they're, these artists all have like a fairly different style. Mm-hmm. Jackson Geis has a, has a different style as well. Mm-hmm. I kind of don't have a huge opinion on Jackson Geis. I think he does fairly serviceable art in this stuff. It, it was so strange to me picking up these issues and feeling like, oh, I don't need to know anything about X-Men to be reading this, these issues. And like the fact that I know things about X-Men makes reading them seem a little bit um, like, I don't need this here. I wish this wasn't here. And I can understand how some things like dropping casually into the conversation that Ilyana had just joined the new mutants and like those, those different bits of exposition are sometimes like really helpful. And then they're sometimes really frustrating when it's just like, gosh, this is not believable dialogue. I don't know if I prefer the exposition and just like narration because I feel like it dropped into dialogue takes me out of the story a little bit. Yeah, this was kind of before the time of caption boxes. Mm-hmm. Well, we did have one issue that was fairly caption box heavy. That is true. They didn't really do a lot of speech bubbles. So you know what? I'm I, you, You've got me there. I wonder if they... A lot of times in newer comics, they like to like... Uh, they like to do these kind of big splashes sometimes with the new arc where all the characters are on one page and they have little caption boxes by all the characters. Yeah. And they say their name and just explain their deal. Yeah. And this didn't have that. No. So you, you would, you did have the kind of awkward dialogue of, I was going to send these postcards to you, Ilyana, but of course you have now joined us here at the Xavier Mansion <laughs> as you joined the new mutants team, the young teenage group of mutants. And you're just like... But this was in the gym. This I looked at the executive editor of uh, the editor in chief at the time. And that was that was Jim Shooter. Mm-hmm. Jim Shooter had like one like cardinal rule with comics, which is any comic could be someone's first comic, so you should write it as if it is. Right. Which you know, I think about back to Everett talking about him just having two random issues from the middle of like events, and just like, well, if you had a random issue of this, I mean, it kind of reads and. 
it, it, it reads fine as a starting point, and then you want to know more at the end. So you want to find the rest because right. most of them don't really wrap up any sort of story by the end of them. I feel like just new things are started. I feel like we have more plot threads open by the end of this arc than we did when we started. Yeah, this did just kind of make me want to continue on my big Chris Claremont read to be like, I I can't remember exactly from Jay and Miles where this went. I remember in general where all this stuff goes, but maybe I need to kind of keep going on that Claremont read. Right. Which was a little frustrating as a podcast that just covers <laughs> the crossover, but maybe it's a more ideal way of, you know, doing a crossover event that like, yeah, you pick it up and you want to keep reading the rest of the line to get the rest of the story. Uh, like if you're really trying to market it, I, I don't know that there's really any other, cro- there's definitely no other crossovers that we've covered that House I House of M kind of made you want to like see, oh my God, what's going to happen next? I there's guess not that's that many true. Mutants. And the DC ones all were you were like, I guess I could. Like, after right. Crisis, you're like, I guess this is a whole new deal, but they didn't really open up a possibility of any particular new plot lines right. other than just going to be a blank slate. There are kind of crossovers that blank slate at the end, mm-hmm. or there's crossovers that like to have a resolution, but with also some new threads. A lot of Bendis's tend to do that. And we haven't covered a ton of them, just House of mm-hmm. M. But I feel like at some point we're going to have to do a Bendisathon because when I was starting reading comics, we were in the middle of the Marvel Bendis era, and every crossover was either written by him or like so strongly influenced by stuff that he was doing that you could basically say that he was in there. Mm-hmm. So like Civil War, House of M, Secret Invasion, um, Siege, mm-hmm. those were all like his deal. And a lot of them did that. Like, at the end of Secret Invasion, you knew that things were going to be a little bit dark for a while. And that wasn't wrapped up till his next crossover and all this <laughs> stuff. So, yeah, to some extent, this this kind of... Yeah. I have to say, if I was reading the title at the time, I would have preferred this style of crossover to some of the others that we've read that are just, like, its own separate story. And then you just go back to whatever was going on in the run before. And the mm-hmm. whole crossover just ignored whatever plot was already happening in the story. I'm trying to think of, of like nineteen like born in nineteen seventy Christy, who's reading this as like an older teenager, and you're like, I'm glad I don't, I can't even imagine that this would ever happen, but I'm glad they didn't just throw them all into something <laughs> that, that's some big crossover. I like my I like my X Men proper. Because right. I mean at this point had they had a crossover across titles that was its own sort of standalone thing? I mean, definitely Secret not an X. Wars, but but it was its Secret own. Wars was an, its own title. Yes, but it also took the characters out. They, like, left and come back, came back. Right, but not in all cases. Yeah, was, I think Wolverine was, was still in his title. It was odd. It's still his story. Um, Secret Wars 2 kind of did that. Like, every issue for a while had to be a Secret Wars 2 issue. And then they didn't do it for a while because it was really bad. (laughs) (laughs) We still haven't covered Secret Wars 2. I just don't want to. We'll have to get into it eventually, but oof. It's a rough one. Um, But a lot of the... I think for the foreseeable future, the X-Men ones are just done across X-Men books. Um, Inferno is just X-Men books. It does not even have a separate, well, it has a separate miniseries, but it's not an Inferno miniseries. Right. Uh, Extinction Agenda, um, Executioner Song, they are all, and I think that that basically continues for a long time. I can't remember the first X-Men miniseries crossover. Yeah, I don't, I honestly don't know what it would be. I, th- I think it's more recent than we would think. <laughs> Okay. Like, probably in the last 10 years, the X-Men got a separate miniseries that was a big crossover of all the X-Men books. Okay. Man, I'll have to ask Zach. That's going to drive me crazy. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they loved to do it this way. I think I think one thing that has always been pretty good about X-Men is that they know kind of who's reading X-Men and are they reading anything else? Maybe not. <laughs> we should maybe get in a little bit more to the plot of this. I feel like we haven't really... I mean, that very it was hard. a very big summary, guys. It was a big summary. We've basically done it. A lot of the things that this kind of plays on, Colossus's kind of hesitance and now his lack of hesitance to do some murders. Right. Well, he, all it took was Kitty getting hurt. Right. And he said to do, he said to kill one time before this, which was Proteus, which is Moira McTaggart's child who is an energy absorber and is evil. Mm-hmm. 
whoever thought just a, just a simple regular human could have such a child. Yeah. <laughs> Wild how that is. Uh, it's a so... human living one life. <laughs> uh, it's so fun reading this issue or these issues through that lens of House of X and Powers of Ten. Oh, we should have probably said we had House of X slash Powers of Ten. Uh, slight spoilers. Maybe we can put that in the uh, the notes. <laughs> I don't. Is anybody <laughs> listening to us that isn't reading House of X and Powers of Ten? There's at least one person I know that's not that's waiting until they're all done. That's a way to do it. <laughs> I, I suppose. <laughs> I don't know how. I feel like I would be like clawing my my hair out if I wasn't reading it as it was coming oh, out. Oh man. But so we have this, the Colossus is slowly like, you know, he started as like this very kind of gentle farm boy, even though he's like the big bruiser character. Mm -hmm. We have Storm kind of grappling with leadership, which happens a ton. I love that Storm doesn't have powers and she's like, gonna go beat up some marauders. But like, no, Magneto, you should stay here and protect the children. To be fair, I guess he would do a pretty decent job of it compared to just Storm. Aside from the fact that they just sneak out. (laughs) And he just decides, I will stay at home in case they telephone. <laughs> I don't think he literally says that, but... <laughs> oh, no, he's just like... he. I mean, it's so interesting seeing him as, like, the, the, the dad figure. Like, Kitty, do you really need to be having all those snacks right now? Don't you have work to be doing? Don't you have papers to write? Oh, and also, no, forget about those, those term papers that you had to write. Please go on this very dangerous mission, child. Yeah. Whoa, 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 we can't send the new mutants. They are children. We can send Kitty, who is a child. And also Ilyana. <laughs> she leaves real quick, though. They they just, like, have her teleport in, I feel like, and then they're like, leave. Whereas they're like, all right, Kitty, time to do some combat. Do you think it's just because they have this idea that Kitty can't be hurt because of her phasing powers, that it's just I th- I think that's enough? so. A lot of times, there? there's kind of a... I've heard that there that there's a motif of young female character who become who Wolverine gets a protege for a little bit, and they also have powers that kind of prevent them from being hurt, but are not like murder powers, right? Like Kitty, um, I guess Jubilee to some extent could be hurt, but she has these like kind of bright, flashy, like "don't touch me" powers, right? And then eventually there's Armor, whose power is literally making armor <laughs> around himself. <laughs> So I have to admit, uh, to some extent, they are they are correct there. But in this, she definitely is like the one time she gets very hurt, right? And like, is that just there to send Colossus kind of to that extreme of I killing? Would, I would. If if I didn't know the future, I would say so. But this also kind of lets Kitty do a separate thing from the X Men. Okay. Eventually, she joins Excalibur. And I am fairly certain that was that was a plan for a while. Okay, so Cla- this was a setup for something. Claremont's a real forward planner. Good. Um, I feel better about that now. He loves Kitty Pride. Uh, I think. I think a lot of. I don't think what you're saying is is not is not a good critique. But and I think if it was literally just that, but it does seem to kind of set more up later. Okay. I I, Claire, I think Claremont likes to try to use his characters to the fullest as opposed to letting anybody kind of be a a lack of character to motivate somebody else one way or the other. Mm-hmm. It's I mean I'm I don't want to say that he's never done it, but I I think he's usually pretty good about it. Again, that's why everybody got so invested with all of these characters mm. for 30 years is because they're actual people <laughs> that have interesting motivations and stuff. <laughs> One thing that seems just a little wild to me that didn't maybe have to be there is with given the number of times we see so many of these characters have costume changes, did Ilyana not have time to let Moira put on some clothes? No, she had to dress her kind of like punk rock sexy. She (laughs) had to take her her naked from the shower and get her dressed in limbo while they sat there and waited for the right time for Ilyana, because she took them too far back. I'm like, this does not seem like this was a time-sensitive thing, because she could have just backtracked whenever. Claremont kind of loves people in shower scenes. Someone once made a, I think recently made like a diagram of all the people who have showers on panel in X-Men comics. Storm is the top. Ilyana had time to write Banshee a note. Uh Uh-huh. 
and to hang out in limbo, but not to let Moira get dressed. Nope. Rogue wears like five different things and they all get torn to bits. Yep. <laughs> That's just, that, yeah, Rogue, Rogue's clothes being torn to bits happens a ton. Ilyana, for a random section, goes from her new mutants costume to like her white and black costume. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a. Apparently, there was lots of time for people to change clothes, so Moira should have had time to get dressed. No. Nope. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. <laughs> Poor Moira. Um, I think Wolverine got some cool moments in this, too. I love the bit with Storm where she's like, we need a prisoner. One prisoner. <laughs> You can do whatever you want with the rest. The, I like that they had a lot of trouble fighting these marauders with all of them, but she's like, I'm just going to leave Wolverine here and he'll just take care of the rest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 And then Sabretooth just randomly carrying the healer around. I don't know. Stringing it out. Yeah. I mean, that was just so the, so the healer could get back. That poor right. guy. That poor guy eventually dies, but not, not, not anytime <laughs> soon. I love that dude. He looks like a wizard. It's great. (laughs) Also, so do you know the whole deal with the Morlocks is for the most part, they are people, they're mutants who look too weird to exist or like too unusual. Yeah. They can't pass as human. I think it's, can he just not dress like a human? (laughs) Cause he just looks like a wizard. I don't know. Some of the clothing in this is very, very eighties, and so maybe, maybe wizard was he a subculture. Or <laughs> you uh, cap right? Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, it was like, but it kept going. It was. There was a lot going on. Yeah. I, I love what heal. He just is healer. They call him the Morlock healer, but his name is Healer. That's well, there like, you go. That's like his mutant name. I was sad about Annalie, though. I also don't... I think she's just down there to take care of the, the children, because she just kind of looks like a grandma. Yeah, she had, like, her hair in rollers. Yep. That was real sad. That was real sad. I I don't... I, I can't abide by killing kids. No. I think in the... It, ta- it kind of takes on kind of an awful new <laughs> dimension these days. Right. I think in the 80s, it was maybe like a, whoa, this is a shocking thing that doesn't happen. Right. Yeah. Right. But yeah, it reads especially rough now. Mm-hmm. I because he he just shot them. Yeah, like, Scalp Hunter's powers are he can just kind of like he seems like he's like a transformer, but just for guns. Like he covers his body in like <laughs> transformer metal Transformer for guns. Transformer for guns. To be fair, Megatron is also a transformer for guns. He just turns into one gun. But Scalp <laughs> Hunter can. He was just like. Do you remember? Um, the Nerf guns when we were kids that you could have several Nerf guns and like put them all together and make like a super Nerf gun. No, I don't. How come we don't have those? We have so many we, Nerf guns we in actually our house. Do. The one with the, the big like foam missile bazooka. That's part of the like. Oh. Yes. So we do have one. Um, or like the, 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 like the Power Rangers weapons where they could like, they would all like stand behind something that looked elaborate and it would like shoot a giant beam. I feel like Scalp Hunter is the mutant version of like, <laughs> cause he would just be like, I made a gun. And I'm like, that's a weird mutant power. How do you discover that one at age 13? They're just, you have scary. an erector set and you're just like, look, I made a giant sword and it's a real one. <laughs> like if Scalp Hunter just wasn't a mutant, I'd believe that too. <laughs> They are really scary, though. It's weird, though. They're scary, but they're still dressed like comic book supervillains. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um... Like Vertigo's got her stripey outfit. That mimics the hair. There's some really interesting hair. Just... I love Tommy's hair. The Morlock with the rainbow hair who turns... She turns 2D and she was killed at the beginning, unfortunately. To me, the way she's drawn, I just envision these beams of color just radiating down her, not, like, static. I just imagine her, like light up rainbow She's with r- rainbow r- scrolling down her and i'm like 2d lame rainbow bright yeah i'm like well i'm here for this and then she's yeah that's in, she, I th- she's in some later or some earlier issues mm. she seems like i can't remember her whole story but she's got a hellfire club boyfriend there's a lot going on in that backstory oh boy that guy got a name too quick though in a claremont comic if they start to explain your name and we've never heard of you before you know if you're like you're like, Rosalind was the nurse. It was a hard shift. 
harder than most walking home at, at night. But she's never afraid. But she should be tonight. You know they're doomed. <laughs> oh. Oh. Yeah. Red-shirted. Yeah. In Claremont's, red shirts get elaborate backgrounds, <laughs> unlike in Star Trek where they're just there for five seconds. Like, I, ne- I need to build this character up so it hurts worse when I... Yeah. Yeah, like... <laughs> when I off them. Martin, single father. Like, he's making... Three kids at home. Doing the best he can. You're like, no! <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's the, Cla- the Claremontiest way of faking... Uh, some expendable characters. It was just, yeah, this guy happened to be the Hellfire Club guy. But yeah, the Marauders, yeah, for supervillains, extra scary. They are, a lot of supervillains have kind of silly plans. Like, you can't imagine Doctor Doom, like, killing a room full of people, even though he's, like, fairly evil. That's just kind of not the way he does right. things. Like, he he would, has a code. Yeah, but he would also just not, like, throw throwing stars at a bunch of people. But this guy's, like, literally, like, how can, I have a mutant power where I can spin really fast. How can I maximize my lethal effectiveness with it? Oh, yeah. He later apparently, or they, they retcon it to make it so that bits actually come out of his skin no. when he twirls around. Okay. Yeah. Oh, you may wonder, but but Chris, Colossus killed that dude, <laughs> to which I say, he did. Wait. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yep. The mar- All of these marauders that are killed eventually come back again because Mr. Sinister clones them. Oh, okay. So they are basically unbeatable because they are just reclonable. And unfortunately... Well, I tend to remember the Marauders because they appear early on. Mm-hmm. Eventually, there's like four, five, or six of these like mutant bad guy teams that all have like people, like mutants on them, and they've got powers, I guess, but a lot of them operate at the same time. <laughs> and it'll be like the Acolytes or the Mutant Liberation Front or the Marauders. And I just get them uh, horribly mixed who, up. Was it, who was it on Twitter that had that? Just pull of trying to to match. That was that was uh, that was co-host someone. someone. That was that was someone <laughs> on Twitter who I think is the co-host of a podcast called Battle of the Atom. I think their name might be Adam Wreck. Uh, someone, someone on someone, Twitter. Someone on Twitter. Um, that was in response to me making the joke that you could. Uh, I, I was just making up names and going. I don't know who these people are. <laughs> um, so that, yeah, that was in response to me. Not. I, I definitely have a lot of trouble telling between the groups like it's more of a 90s problem mm-hmm. but this is this is only the beginning of like five, like, five oh, member mutant this groups. went over this over went over well with the marauders let's do it again just another well it ha- it happens a lot after claremont leaves and to some extent i wonder how much of it is kind of clinging to a claremont legacy there's a big criticism with a bunch of x-men runs that they just cannot escape claremont you either have to like I guess do really good with, with stuff that's already been built on, which doesn't happen very much. Or you have mm-hmm. to s- like strike out in a radical new direction to make good X-Men comics. Now I have a feeling that the answer is no, but I'm still interested and excited to see if Marauders at all ties in to the new title that is going to be coming out. Marauders. I feel like they're going to be mad about the name. <laughs> so I think we'll see or something. I'm, I, I have a feeling they'll they'll come in at some point, but right. who knows? Uh, if readers, if you don't know, um, at this moment, early September 2019, pretty soon we are going to get an ongoing title spinning out of House of X Powers of Ten called Marauders, which is a bunch of X-Men characters doing pirate stuff. Pirate X-Men! Yes. Uh, it's, Yo-ho-ho! It's going to be good times. <laughs> but yeah, I, I kind of want to know if that is the case. Mm-hmm. It'll be neat to see. So overall, before we get into accolades, would you recommend this to a current comic book reader as essential X-Men reading? I don't know if it's particularly essential. I think... Is it fun? I... Fun. (laughs) I think it's a good read. I wasn't wasn't bored at all reading this. I think Mm -hmm. it was important. I think it was, I guess, literarily enjoyable. I don't know if fun's the right word. It's very dark. Yes. (laughs) There's a lot of death. Although that's... The, like... Dark soap opera is kind of par for the course for a lot of X Men, so I think if you're if you're already wanting to read it, right? This is not I think that's why that. I can still say fun about. I mean, 
because X-Men can just be dark and there's death and there's hatred towards the X-Men. And that's just kind of par for the, the course. That's true. Is it an enjoyable story? I thought, I think so. I feel like I wouldn't recommend it unless someone was interested in continuing to read. Yeah, I mean, I would always recommend the Claremont run if someone's that, like, I got fair. I got two weeks and I don't have anything <laughs> to do but read comics. I'd be like, crush that Claremont run, buddy. Uh, that's too, like, you know, that's like 200 issues of comics. But it's not like a huge status changing. Nope, there, there are ramifications, uh, some of which we'll see next week. The whole like kitty off the team, Nightcrawler off the team, uh, Psylocke joining the team. Yeah, Psylocke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't know you liked Psylocke that much. Are you you, you big Psylocke fan? I don't know. She kicked butt in this. Yeah, she does that. This is this is pre body switch Psylocke. Yes. Yes. Uh, this is when she is in her her normal. This is when British she's body. uncomplicated. This is when she was just a psychic model who has eyes <laughs> provided to her by Mojo and was Captain Britain for a little bit. Completely uncomplicated. <laughs> Oh. All right. Are you ready to get into accolades? Yes, accolades. All right, Christy, what is the best line of this issue? Okay, this best line is definitely one that as I was reading, I had to like shout out to you uh, because there is like in the very first issue, Rogue saves some people very heroically, but this kind of like outs her in front of a bunch of people as a mutant. Mm -hmm. So because her clothes are all torn up and she looks a mess, she goes into Bloomingdale's Mm -hmm. to get a makeover. But one of the the bigots follows her in and tries to start a fight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, And somebody comes to her aid. To which the lady at the makeup counter at Bloomingdale's steps in the middle of these two men about to throw down and say, Gentlemen, gentlemen, don't you dare fight in here. This is Bloomingdale's. <laughs> uh, that was mine, too, but I had a backup because I thought you'd pick that one. We have a but, daily double. But we could do a daily double. We can put, we can put Matt, Matt D. Wilson. Wilson's effect in. Yep. Daily double. Daily double. <laughs> I liked the I, to to me. She was saying it like three hundred. This is Bloomingdale. <laughs> See that to me sounds like more like a cry to fight. Okay, but I want to know what your backup was. My backup was the 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 splash page where we are introduced to the Marauders on the the second the first page of the second issue where Scalp Hunter says. I'm trying to remember exactly, but it was like we're the Marauders. We kill mutants. Who's next? Oh yeah, yeah. It's like their mission statement, and it's it's a lot of less is more. Uh huh. That's all you got. What else do you need to know? <laughs> all right. What about your greatest hero? Betsy's my greatest hero because she tried real hard in that last issue. Me too. <laughs> Daily double. Daily again. double. Um, because she did a great job, and she was very unsure of herself. And by the end of the she, issue, she did swell. She took on Sabretooth. Mm-hmm. Um, she used the a very like Claremont as an English American uh, insult to herself. She called herself a stupid cow. That happens <laughs> an awful lot. <laughs> oh. Um, she did swell, and she got all she got real beat up. Mm-hmm. She got ribs broken because Colossus fell on her. Right. Right. Yep. She got to join the X Men at the end. Uh huh. She ran around in like. I don't know if it was supposed to be a nightgown or like a dress. She fell through the glass ceiling into Storm's atrium. <laughs> yeah, she did great. Uh, so good job, Sila. Good job, Bessie. Yep. All right, well, Christy. What is your coolest moment? My coolest moment has to be when Danny Moonstar. We have this full page spread of her seeing this massive form of death above. Xavier School. Like, yeah, the entire Xavier School. Yeah. It's very cool. It is a very cool panel. So my coolest moment is not like a singular moment, Uh but I really liked the big fight between the X-Men and the Marauders. I thought it was well drawn, and I think a lot of times comic book kind of has like... 
it's like the you know how in wrestling if you're if you're in a, like a tag match and there's too much going on it kind of has what they call like legal man syndrome where you're mm. like I don't actually know who the legal tag person is right I feel like there's a comic book equivalent of that where you like don't know who like okay who is hurt who's who's like fighting who this really I think nailed down like I know what's going on it's yeah. clear action mm-hmm. and it it wasn't like too extra you got cool moments like nightcrawler repeatedly teleporting um arc light mm-hmm. and then she just like passing out and they did it in like two panels in yeah. perfect sense uh-huh so i i it was just a really engaging action action sequence to me right and i, I it makes I, you wonder what the script looked like like how much of that is just artist really representing things well yeah this was the Marvel method, I think, was still being used maybe more than it is now, but I wouldn't, I don't know if it was necessarily like the full norm. Right. So tough to tell unless we were able to track it down. A lot of comic book scripts kind of float around online. Huh. Um, there's a lot of samples, I think, for, for kind of budding creators to see what scripts look like because they can really differ compared to like your movie <laughs> scripts, right? All right. What is your Crusher Creel Award for Silly Villainy? My Crusher Creel Award for Silly Villainy goes to Scrambler for thinking that he is he is taking away Storm's powers because he touches <laughs> her. And he's got this real, like, poop-eating grin on his face. Like, I've taken your powers. And she's like, I don't have them. And just decks him. And that's it. He's out. <laughs> that was pretty great. Uh-huh. Oh, yep. My Crusher Creel Award for Silly Villainy goes to Sabretooth licking Wolverine's blood off of his claws yeah. and saying he's tasty. Specifically, <laughs> <laughs> tasty, Runt. Oh, goodness <laughs> sake. It's weirdly thirsty. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was a whole lot. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty good. Tasty run as always. Is <laughs> as <the> always. <laughs> oh goodness sake! As always is just on a panel. Like they're two little panels right next to each other, and Wolverine is like half a panel shorter than Sabretooth <laughs> to just really emphasize the size difference. He looks. Wolverine does not look amused in that second no. panel. <laughs> Creed, you got to stop licking my blood, man. It's getting weird. <laughs> all right well um readers that's gonna do it for our show the next week or in two weeks we're gonna be covering the x factor side to remind all of you um if you'd like to get in contact with us before then you can follow us on twitter at chris's pod and facebook as well Mm-hmm. And you can email us at Chris's on Infinite Earths at gmail.com. We love those five star reviews on your iTunes and your Stitchers and all of your podcast apps. You can also review us on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, so five star reviews on there are very much appreciated. And we will shout you out on the show for any of those, any of those five star reviews. Yes. Maybe we would for a four star review, but we'd be a little bitter about it. Oh, we're not, we're not shouting out four star reviews. <laughs> We are not shouting out those four-star reviews. All right. You can support us on ko- K- on Kofi, ko-fi.com slash Chris's on Infinite Earths, um, or our Patreon, www.patreon.com slash Chris's pod. We've got all sorts of fun stuff on there. If you support at a long enough, uh, level, at a certain level, you can get a permanent accolade put on the show or absolutely demand that we cover a certain crossover or, um, Demand that you uh, have a ballot in a, in a voting spree to determine our next crossover. Mm-hmm. The, uh, a few of those are going to be coming up soon, so that'll be fun. Yes. All right. Um, before we go, uh, you're probably already reading this, but I have to shout out my own work. If you are enjoying House of X and Powers of Ten, you'd probably enjoy Hoxpox Talks, which is my and uh, Robert Secundus's Weekly annotations of every single issue of House of X and Powers of Ten, edited by Zach Jenkins and executive edited by Susanna Polo on Polygon.com. Yeah, I'm so proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> it's great stuff, guys. Check it out. They, they, they're doing amazing work. And until next time. Slay your enemies and all you desire shall be yours. <laughs>